Thank you for being at Journey Church today. And um, today, as I mentioned earlier, we have a special, special guest with us. We have Dr. Byron Claus, and he's with us from Child of Hope. So if Byron would join me up front, let's just give him a warm welcome this morning. And we're super excited about him being here. Thanks, Mike. Well, uh, I'm privileged to be with you today here in River Falls, and I'm here to represent Child Hope, but formerly was called Latin America Child Care, a ministry that began in El Salvador in 1963. Uh, young missionary there in San Salvador, El Salvador, his name was John Bueno, and he was going home late one night from the church that he was pastoring. And he saw a young boy, it was about 9 o'clock at night, saw a young boy selling newspapers on the street. And he had seen that boy many times, bought newspapers, but he realized that that young boy could not go home until he had sold all his newspapers, and it was 9 o'clock at night. And so he bought all the newspapers and thought he'd done a great job. And then he realized as he got home that that little guy was going to go home and wake up probably six, seven hours later and uh, be back on the street selling newspapers again. And he knew that that was going to be that child's life. There would be a ceiling to that young boy's life. And so John began, he said, we, we've got to do something. And uh, one of the ways in which poverty could be broken, the back of poverty could be broken, is if that child had education. At the time, six out of ten children in Central America did not have access to any kind of education. So he decided to do something. He wasn't an educator, <laughs> didn't know much about it, but he had people in his church who did. And so in the balcony of the church, they began a small school. That was in 1963. That's 60 years ago. Uh, I happened to be at the 50th anniversary of that school, uh, in, which was in 2013. Uh, we met in the National Football Stadium of El Salvador. There were 35,000 people there. Uh, the national education leaders of that nation were there and had basically estimated conservatively that one million children had gone through those schools throughout the nation now in El Salvador, one million children. That particular ministry now has spread all over Central and Latin America and into the Caribbean. Uh, tomorrow morning there will be about 300 schools with over 100,000 children in 20 nations that began from that little balcony school up in uh, El San Salvador, El Salvador. So I want to talk to you about that ministry this morning. And uh, essentially what the ministry is, is bringing education to children born into poverty. It's basically it. We ask the question as we go into communities, both rural and urban, uh, what would the kingdom of God look like if it came to this place, this location? The locations are always less than exciting. <laughs> They're sometimes very violent. But we ask that question, and our answer has been, it would look like a church and a school planted together. A church that would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a school that would bring tangible expression of God's love to children who don't have access to that. Because only with those kinds of tools can a child break out of the cycle that is too prevalent in that part of the world. So I want you to think about three words this morning uh, as, we just, as I talk just a little bit about what we do throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, 
I like you to think about three words, compassion, education, and transformation. Those are three words that sort of sum up everything we do. But before I talk a little bit more about Child Hope, I want to turn your attention to a story in the Bible. And it's a familiar story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'm going to read part of the story. It's a very familiar story. It's about a great general whose name was, name was Naaman. <laughs> and Naaman was a great general, had won a lot of battles, uh, but he had a problem. And the problem was he had leprosy. And obviously leprosy would mean that eventually he would die. So this is the story, and I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read parts of it so that you can understand the story. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to a mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told the Lord, told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman now has permission to go to the king of Israel uh, to uh, meet this man of God, whose name is Elisha, so that possibly he may be healed. So I'm going to drop down to verse 9. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood in the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be made clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you, and you will not do it? He actually said to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River according to the word of God, and the flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So that story is a you know, a story, if you've, if you've grown up in church at all, you know that story. It's a story of Naaman. So Naaman is a great general. He's, uh, you know, very famous, but he has leprosy. 
And ultimately, the, the focus of this story is upon the fact that he goes down to Israel, has sort of an official letter. The king is pretty upset about that, but turns him over to Elisha. Elisha says, you know, go down and wash in the Jordan River. He doesn't like that because the Jordan River, compared to the rivers back home, are really dirty. And he says, you know, if I had to come all this way, you know, why couldn't he just at least come out and do some incantation over me and make it official? All he does is tell me to wash in the river. I could have done that back home. His servants say to him, you know what, we've come this far. You know, they're reasonable and they say, just go and dip. He does. He dips seven times, some sort of ritual I'm sure that he would have had. He dips seven times. He comes up absolutely clean. It is a miraculous event. This great general is healed. And that's where we usually focus our attention in the story. But what I'd like to do this morning is focus the attention on the little girl who is in the household of Naaman. She actually now is serving the wife of Naaman. How did she get there? The raiders from Syria had gone into Israel, as they usually did on a regular basis, and they just sort of pillaged and took little children as slaves. We would call it today trafficking. This little girl is brought into the household of Naaman. She serves Naaman's wife. And what does she say to Naaman's wife? She says, you know what? If you could only get down to the prophet Elisha, Naaman could be healed. Now, how is it that this little girl, when you think of trafficking today, you think of bad stuff. That is exactly what had happened to her. And yet here she is saying to Naaman's wife, if only you could get back to Israel, I know a man who could heal the great general. Now she could have said, die, sucker. (laughs) She could have kept that good news to herself. What, What possesses this little girl? To in the middle of her tragedy, ripped from the arms of her her mom and dad, taken to a place she does not know, put into slavery. Who knows what else happened to her? How is it that she provides hope to the man who enslaves her? I can't answer that other than she had had moments in her childhood, most likely from her parents, that had instilled in her faith in God that had changed her life and helped her survive in the most difficult of circumstances. That's how that happened. So the places that we work with child hope are not unlike those places. They are places that are full of poverty. Back when we began working in the 60s, 70s, 80s, I can remember going there and we were middle of civil wars, okay? In all these nations, there were all kinds of ideological battles that were going on. Today, it's even worse because drug cartels have come in in each of these nations and parents are being forced to make decisions about sending their children north. Those are the places that we work. So three words. Three words that typify the work that we do in the kinds of contexts that I've just described for you, both 
with statistics and also with this story from the Bible. So compassion, you know, we can't, children can't learn without being given nutritious meals. We, we feed children in our schools. We don't do that because they have nothing to eat. We do that primarily because they can't learn if they don't have something in their stomachs. And we know that early on in life, if there isn't enough protein put in a child's body, that their brain can't develop, and they are forever hindered from learning. So we provide meals for children, not because we look at them and feel bad because they don't have much to eat. In many cases, it's the only meal they eat during the day. And it's meager, it's rice and beans and vegetables, periodically fish and chicken. But it's a means, compassion is not just saying, oh, you're hungry, you poor little child. This is about the fuel by which they can learn. We also care deeply about water, okay? There's plenty of water throughout most places in Latin America. The problem is not water, the problem is clean water. <laughs> so in lots of cases we have projects where we provide clean water filters for homes. They can get water from a variety of places, it's just not clean. And we have found in most places where we've done this that the attendance of children goes up by at least a half. And the reason is, is that waterborne diseases, simple things uh, that cause diarrhea and others keep kids at home. It keeps their parents from the work that they have to go to. So we care about children. Simple things like food. Simple things like clean water. Second word is education. Education is really, really important. It is the doorway through which children can break out of poverty. Young man that I've met on a number of occasions, his name is Daniel. He lived in a very poor neighborhood in San Jose, Costa Rica, in a, sort of up on the side of the mountain. And he was, as most children in these communities, poverty-stricken. Uh, he entered school. You know, children who come into our schools, while we have schools that are Christian, they're not Christian schools in the sense that your families have to be Christian, etc. Uh, no, you come to this school because it's the only one available, and you come because you live in the neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, he was one of those children. He came, and he uh, was at a great distress in his life because his father had walked out on the family. His mom was left alone. And the teacher, and the key to education in these schools is not just a great education, it's great teachers who care deeply about children. And she looked at Daniel and she said, what's the problem? He said, you know, my dad's walked out on us, we're all alone. And she said to Daniel, you know, your father has left you and that's a tragedy. But let me tell you about a father who loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And that little first grader that day, Daniel, accepted Jesus Christ into his life. He dreamed one day of being a doctor. And this is one of the things that education does in a Christian context. It, it really renews a mind. A child who's had no possibility of thinking about something bigger than the place that he lives is given the possibility through the transforming of a mind that they can actually be more than what they see around them. 
That little guy today is Dr. Daniel. <laughs> He's a medical doctor, serving in the same community that he grew up, only with a clinic that is now provides health care in that community. That's what education can do. Our schools, on a regular basis, and national exams that go on in all these nations, we're always in the top percentile children. And it's not just because they're getting decent education in a great school, it's because teachers like Daniel's teacher care about them. They know what kind of context they come from, and they care deeply about them. So the third thing that we care about is, obviously, they need to eat, <laughs> and they need clean water, but they need more. They need a great education, they need great teachers, they need to excel, and we're increasingly working in areas of science, STEM education to provide children, particularly girls, an opportunity to break into new industries that are developing throughout this region. But transformation is really something that is unique to a school that has Jesus Christ at its center. A transformed life. I met a little boy, his name was Emmanuel, and uh, he was typical of these communities. His, and as happens throughout Latin America, where historically we have this sort of pejorative term called banana republics. And many of these nations are where lots of bananas were raised. But agriculture has changed and there's more industry in these nations. So they leave the farms, come to the city, thinking that there'll be jobs. And when they get there, the jobs aren't there. And Emmanuel's family did that. They came from the banana plantations where the generations they had worked, they came to a city and lived on a hillside in a little ramshackle shack. And the father could not get work, and the father decided that uh, he was a loser, and he began to drink and take drugs, and sooner than later, he began beating his children. I saw on Emmanuel's back the, the, the belt strap, sort of red welts that were on his back. He left, and in fact, the older children left as well because they just couldn't take a father who was beating them continually. So Emmanuel and his mom were left in this little shack, and he slept on basically sacks of cement. That's what he had. He came to our school, same situation as Daniel that I talked about. He was by himself. And a teacher can always tell a child who has had not only physical abuse, but has been abused emotionally. So little Daniel would never look you in the eye, excuse me, little Emmanuel would never look you in the eye. And, you know, when a question was asked, he would never respond. But as happens in all our schools, we have chapel on a regular basis. And the pastor, uh, you know, preached a simple message about, about Jesus Christ and how he could change your life and ask children to come and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. On that day, Emmanuel did and the teachers began to see something unique happening in Emmanuel's life. He began looking them in the eye. He began answering questions in class. Something was beginning to happen in his life. One of the ways in these communities that teachers help children is in all these countries there are great, uh, there's great long 
uh, folklore poetry, okay, about the great leaders of these nations and their long sort of poetry pieces that these children learn and memorize. And Emmanuel began doing this sort of thing. He began learning these long folklore poetry sort of things, and he became a real orator, a third grade. He's like this great orator. They also, not only do they teach him that, they also take him out on street corners to preach. Okay? So little Emmanuel became a street preacher. Bible bigger than himself, going out, preaching the gospel on street corners. By the time he was in eighth grade, he'd become quite an orator. And uh, in that nation, he was chosen above all other children in the nation, both in public and private school, to give a sort of special speech in front of the president. This is the president of Costa Rica. So you can imagine a little boy who has been raised on the hillside in a ramshackle little house. Oh, by the way, his dad came home one time, and Emmanuel had the gall, the courage, to invite his dad to church. That night, his dad received Jesus Christ as Savior. That night, a new transformation began that had begun in Emmanuel's life, became something that changed that entire family. The father came home. He kept the job. What money he had, he didn't spend on liquor and drugs. He spent on rice and beans, and that, life, that family's life was changed. So here's Emmanuel now. Whole family been put back together. Older children have come back home. And he's, he's on that day gone from his home to one of the ritzy hotels in downtown San Jose, Costa Rica, where he's going to give a speech to the rich folks, including the president. In these Latin American nations, when you're rich, you're rich. It's old rich, okay? These people had come from coffee plantations, and they were the elite of this nation. And he stood up and gave a speech in front of the president. The president's name is Jose Maria Figueres. So he gives a speech, and he tells the story that I told you. By the time he gets done with the speech and how God had changed his life, the tears are streaming down all the rich folks' face. And then he closes his presentation, and he looks at the president. And in this nation, if you call the president, you don't call them Mr. President or Madam President. You call them by their first name. That's honor. He looked at the president and he said, Jose Maria, if you will follow the commandments of the Lord, you have nothing to fear. And he sat down. That's what transformation does. Think about it. Think about a child. Think about the little girl in Naaman's household who had faith that most likely came from the rigor of a simple education that her parents gave her. Think of Emmanuel. Emmanuel, who had come from rough circumstances and how his life was changed over a period of years through simple things like good education, a meal on a regular basis when he didn't have it. He could grow the, the, a teacher who cared deeply about him, a pastor who preached the gospel to him, a life that was transformed by discipline in memorizing 
long poems, discipline in memorizing scripture, the courage to stand on street corners and proclaim, and then finally, standing in front of the president of your nation and declaring the goodness of God that you have received in your life. So that's what we're about. And I, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life, but nothing more important than advocating for children who have no voice. <laughs> and believing that this ministry that has gone on for 60 years, and we don't know how many kids. I mean, we know over a million in El Salvador, but we're in 20 nations throughout Central America, Mexico, Caribbean, South American continent. Children who are tomorrow morning going to be going to school they're coming in circumstances that I've come from circumstances like I've described, but have an opportunity for compassion, <laughs> education, and transformation. So uh, before I close, uh, we're going to watch a video. And uh, this is a video of a little girl, hopefully, hopefully, there it is, okay. A little girl, and she's going to talk to you. Now, she is a bright little five-year-old kindergartner. And if you understand Spanish, it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, but there'll be subtitles there. But you'll be able to sense just from, from the way she talks how excited she is about being in her school. So let's listen up. Aquí hacen un video para ustedes. Estoy muy contenta. En esta escuela aprendo cosas nuevas. Hago muchas cosas aquí en esta escuela. Aprendo tantas cosas nuevas. Aprendo sobre Dios. Aprendo en varios ciertos valores. Nuestra Biblia es nuestra regla de fe y conducta logramos metas sobre todo en la constancia en, ahora le voy a cantar una linda canción domingo siento por solo lunes continuará el martes siento paz que nada me quitará el miércoles y el jueves camino con Jesús el viernes le su gloria y el sábado su She's a, she's a, she can convince a lot of people <laughs> this is important, important ministry. The thing that I want you to see, she wanted to talk about dos valores, okay? She wanted to talk about two values, uh, you know, and that, that she talked about the Bible. She talked about the Bible being our basis for life and conduct in family, and you needed to live a consistent life, a consistent life. So... As we close today, I, I want you to remember the little girl in Naaman's household. I want you to remember three words. Compassion, education, transformation. I want you to remember Dr. Daniel. I want you to remember Emmanuel. And I want you to remember that little five-year-old girl who talked about 
how she is so excited about being in school. There are ways that uh, you can help us. When you, when you came in today, you should have received a card like this. And uh, on that card is a QR code. And it, there's also our website information. Uh, if you wanted to be a part of the ministry in a very specific way, you can go on our website and it'll say, uh, partner with us, okay? Hit that link and it'll take you to a variety of things that you can help us with, okay? Uh, some like water filters and food and things like that, very specific ways that you can help us. Uh, another very tangible way that you can help us is a sponsoring a child, which is $36 a month. And there are some, some examples of children, some case studies of children that I have in the back. If you'd like to join with us today in doing that, it's the most tangible way that you can help partner with Child Hope. Uh, you'll be able to communicate with the child. Uh, you'll know that that child is, uh, is uh, deeply appreciative for you. They'll send you letters and you can communicate back and forth. That's probably the most tangible way today that you could join us. But uh, thank you so much, Pastor Mike, for being able to be here and just share this uh, wonderful ministry that's been going on for 60 years that has done some fabulous things throughout Latin America. Um, but the truth is that in these nations, and uh, the history of nations, is that anytime there is a disruptive force, children are the first point of attack. It's happening in our nation. <laughs> it's happened around the world. And this is an opportunity that I believe we can help these children in another part of the world who have uh, little access to the things that we have to. I, you know, you might ask the question, so why should I sponsor a child? Why should I give to Child Hope? Here's the reason why. Because you can. Because you can. I first went to El Salvador in 1985. It was in the middle of a civil war. I was first introduced to this ministry. And I walked into these schools and I saw parents who were risking their lives to bring their kids to, church, uh, to, to school and I said to myself, what's the difference between me and my being a father with two teenage girls at the time? What's the difference between me and these parents here? We both love our kids. We both will do anything to provide the best for them. What's the difference? The difference is I have greater resources to provide for my kids. I can do things that they can't. And the truth is that if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I might, like many of those parents, have to pick up a gun to provide a future for their children. And I decided at that moment that I was going to do everything that I could do. Why? Because I could do it for my kids. I wanted to make sure that other kids had the same chance in a small way. So I just ask you to join us. Go to the QR code. Check it out. I'll see you in the back. Possibility of sponsoring a child. Thank you so much. Well, in this moment, let's bow our heads and let's pray for pa Pastor Dr. Byron Claus just in this moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to hear from him and his ministry, Lord Jesus. I pray as they go into South America and all these different countries, Lord, that you'll give them the opportunity to continue to provide compassion 
for these students, to provide education for these students, but to also provide opportunities for transformation in these students' lives, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity that we have today to help be a blessing to these students and these children in these, in these countries. Father, I just pray that even people here today, that their hearts will be stirred. That, Lord, that they'll take that step of obedience to partner and sponsor one of these children that's where, if that's where they feel like you're leading, Lord Jesus. Continue to guide them in child hope, Lord Jesus. Continue to provide resources, education system, whatever it is, Lord, continue to bless this ministry, Father God. And bless the Claus family as they're being a part of this and helping lead and guide this ministry, Lord Jesus. Protect them from evil. Watch out over them, Lord Jesus. You are our shelter and you are our strong tower, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I just pray even in this moment for people that don't know Jesus here, that in a moment we're going to make an opportunity for them to accept Christ and his transforming power. So if that's you in this room today with every head bowed, all eyes closed, you're hearing about this transforming power that Jesus offers. And Jesus, he is the perfect son of God. And there's something called sin that separates all of us from God. Sin is simply just missing the mark of God's glorious standard. The truth is, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. But to come into the gap of sin, Jesus came down and took our place on that cross. The truth is, is that you and I deserve death, but Jesus, he took that place. He took upon that suffering for you and I so that we may be made right in his sight. And the truth is, is that we don't have to do much to accept this glorious gift. All we have to do is to believe in our hearts that Jesus died for us, that he is Lord. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, Nolan, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize there's some parts of me that need to be transformed. And if that's you in a moment, I want you to lift your hands on the count of three. But this is a gift that's freely given. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. All you do is receive. So if that's you on the count of three, just lift your hand. No one's looking around. And we want to pray for you as a church. So one, Jesus loves you. Two, come to Jesus. And three, if that's you, just lift your hand. If you're like, no, and I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior, just lift your hand. This is a moment between you and God, between you and the Lord. So as a church family, we believe that when we pray together, there's something special. So just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I accept you into my heart. I pray that I'll follow you the rest of my days. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said together, amen, amen. Thank you. Well, we all stand to our feet. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to give you an opportunity to give on your way out this morning. We're going to have um, people in the back. They're going to be collecting gifts. 
And everything, 100% of what comes in in this offering, if you choose to give, is going to go directly back into this ministry, Child Hope. 100%. Nothing stays here. Nothing even goes to our speaker. It goes all back into Child Hope. And they'll distribute those funds as they see best. So I just want to give you a chance, an opportunity, if you feel like that's something God's calling you to do. And just let you know, maybe you didn't come prepared to give today. We're going to extend this offering for the next couple weeks. You can either give physically right in this location, just designated Child Hope. Or you can go online and give. Or you can mail it to the church. Just make sure, every, just make sure you designate Child Hope. And we'll make sure that 100% leaves this building travels overseas to help people that need help children to help children so we want to make that available to you thank you for being